0: Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Gauge, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers, what resonates with them, and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement, and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more, about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors, And stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. One of the great things about running a podcast like this is that I get to speak to and share with you inspiring leaders in our industry, sharing their inside track on what it takes to succeed in consulting. I try to get guests on this show that I look up to and that I know others out there, listeners like you do as well. And it was great to have a chance to interview one of my old mentors, someone who taught me so much about consulting and whose career has gone from strength to strength since I worked for him. Today, I go back to my old consultancy to interview Alex Gurr, partner and head of insurance at Boringa Partners. I worked closely with Alex on a number of projects during my time there and learn a ton from him. And over the last five years, Alex has gone from a junior partner to head of insurance and working with his team has grown insurance at Baringa from around 15 when I left to just over 50 of them now. There's so many things that I'd always wanted to ask Alex to find out how he did what he did and how he's been so successful. And it was great to get the chance to sit down with him and go into detail on so many of these topics for the podcast. In today's interview, we cover a whole host of things, and there's so much valuable insight in here for you, including how Alex turned a series of fortunate opportunities into a successful career, and his advice for you if you're looking to climb to the top in consulting, how Alex's upbringing influenced his approach to leadership and the values that he sees as key for any successful leader, and the importance of diversity and inclusion in consulting what senior consulting leaders need to think about when it comes to d and and what Boringa are doing to promote diversity and inclusion across their business. I really enjoyed going back to Boringa to speak with Alex. As I said, it's been almost five years since I left, and while it only feels like yesterday, it's been great seeing how the business, and particularly the insurance practice, has grown in that time. Alex has a ton to share, and this interview was a chance for us to sit down and get some of those great insights that I've benefited from out for you to hear. So, with the intro done and dusted, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Alex Gurr. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's great to be back. Now, I, I know we've seen each other since, but I, I was thinking on the train earlier today, I, mean, I think it's about five years since I, I think we worked together. I, I left in 2015, so I'm sure, and we'll dive in today, there's been a whole host of things that have happened since then. Yeah, it really doesn't feel quite that long, actually.
1: Obviously, it's nice to catch up with you. We see each other fairly regularly, don't we? So, um, And it's great to see how your business is going, actually. It's always nice to see people who leave Boringa and go on to do brilliant things elsewhere. You know, it's very satisfying.
0: Oh, thank you very much. And we'll come on to the, the impact that you and, and others here have had on on making that journey happen as we, we talk through the interview. But I'm, I'm conscious, obviously, we know each other really well. But for those who are listening who, who maybe don't know you, could you just give a brief overview of your background and, and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I... I've been working for 20-odd years now, which is obviously quite a frightening thing to to
0: say. Don't look it if that makes you feel better. No,
1: I appreciate that. That's very flattering. (laughs) And I guess I got here by what I call a series of accidents. Uh, Other people would look at it and say that's that's probably a bit disingenuous. But um, I, I left university flat broke, you know, and... Like many people, I, I just needed to earn money. And again, that, you know, this sounds very, uh, you know, you said to me, be very honest. So that's what I'll be yeah, through. Yeah, go this. for it. And I essentially took the first job that was offered to me. And I was very fortunate that I was offered a job. But I took a job working with Zurich Financial Services. So I found my, my, myself working in the insurance industry, you know, somewhat by accident. But it was a great graduate program. And I, um, you know, I was very keen to to start working and start learning and quite frankly, start paying my way in life. And then I progressed through Zurich over a number of years, lovely company, a lot of fond memories of it, but decided I fancied a go at consulting. I worked with consultants, thought I'd give that a go. Uh, so I got a job with Deloitte, got turned down by quite a few actually before I got a job with Deloitte, but they gave me a job and essentially re retrained me in the world of consulting, which was really challenging actually at times, but you know in the long run i learned a huge amount through that organization and i again i've got a lot of good things to say about them and then crikey 13 years ago now i took a bit of a punt and joined what was structure group and since became boringa and um
0: i've been here ever since so i mean that's a very potted history yeah and it's, and part of the reason i asked the question is because it teases us up nicely for for a whole host of places to to dive into and just to close that off because we will come back to it we for our listeners, where were you in the sort of consulting hierarchy when you you joined Boringa? Yeah, I'd uh, I, I just made manager
1: actually, so that was two thousand and seven. And so,
0: let's start with industry um, because it's something that you know, lots of people make that transition. You, like yourself, I, I did the same, and I still remember the first week with uh, it was Jules and Paul. And yeah, going home with my brain completely fried. It's quite a shift I found from industry to consulting, and actually looking back what was it that made you want to make that change and almost you mentioned there that you'd been rejected by a number of consultancies you know what was it that you had to hone or how did you get that foot in the door at deloitte
1: yeah so why did i want to make the change in the first place i think um, i really liked zurich and i learned a lot there and i'd done some really interesting projects with them so i went into the it department And I started off as a junior BA and then I, you know, worked my way through. I became a junior project manager and then a bit more of a senior project manager. And then eventually I got the opportunity to go out to Switzerland and work on what was a global finance transformation program. And I, I, I threw myself into it wholeheartedly as I've tried to do with most things that I've done. And I was working with consultants that you know they were helping me with that project, the part of the projects I was running. And what I'd really liked was the fact that they'd had exposure to lots of different organizations and that they could bring that relevant experience to this project. And whilst I'd had a variety of experiences in in Zurich world, I hadn't had the chance to go out beyond that. And I really wanted to see other organizations and I wanted to work with different organizations and learn from them. And take my experience to them, so that was the kind of key motivation. I thought it looked quite glamorous as well, and so I was a little bit seduced by it if i 'm honest you know there's a great uh, to some extent you know there's a great image around elements mm. of consulting. What was it? I had to hone i mean there 's a huge advantage to working in industry i think first i i mean i I always really value when we look at recruiting people, I always look to people who 've worked in industry because I think when you're a much more empathetic consultant when you've lived on the other side and uh, the depth of knowledge that you build up working in a, an insurance company, I, you know, you and I know I work in insurance, is hugely valuable. And so I always really valued that. And I think my career was far better for it. I guess I just lacked an element of polish. Um, <laughs> and I was probably very naive at that time in terms of what consulting actually involved. And I, I sort of learnt a little bit the hard way, to be honest. And then probably at that time, I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was a little bit directionless. And I thought, when I interviewed with consultancies, I, I was very vague in terms of what I wanted and where I wanted to go. It was, I want to go and try lots of stuff, rather than you know being particularly focused on the type of work I wanted to do the industry I wanted to work in or why I wanted to do it. So it was much more about me rather than about what I could offer the organisation. I think I learned that quite quickly. And certainly as soon as I got to Deloitte and I, you know, started my retraining as it were, Mm.
0: I I learned very, very quickly. So I want to come on to the Deloitte and that transition, but you mentioned something really interesting there around the, those skills that, you know, you get that empathy from being on the other side and actually, I'd be keen just to pause on some of those what What were those things either then or that you find that you have to guide your team you know your junior team on now that were those key skills that you just are harder to get in a consulting environment because you you're on the other side of the fence
1: i I suppose it you know I suppose my memory was of how did it feel when I saw a group of consultants come into the organization I work for and sit in a corner and not necessarily interact with me or the team that were there. And you know we're doing some stuff internally at the moment around insiders and outsiders, You know those that are in the in-group and the out-group. And I I'd always found a bit like an outsider in my own organisation when consultants came to work for us. Mm. So I think the thing that it brings is that sense of how are people within that organisation feeling about you being there? And how do you make them feel as comfortable and quite honestly safe as possible whilst helping impart the knowledge that you've got because I would say as consultants we're like house guests and you've got to be a really good house guest so you should come you should be a really good house guest you should offer to tidy up after yourself you know you should you should be amusing entertaining etc but then you also need to go so all of those all of those sort of they're quite emotional feelings actually i suppose all of those things about how it feels to have consultants on, in your organisation working with you were things that I learned and I took into my consulting career. And it probably just made me interact with people slightly differently. And also, I think I, having seen the talent that sits within an organisation, I've always been very careful to try and acknowledge that and support that rather than dismiss it. I've seen too many people go wrong in the past where, you know, everyone's rubbish unless they work for... My business, my consultancy, they're rubbish. And I, I think that's an utter nonsense. You know, there's some incredibly talented people, lots and lots of incredibly talented people work in industry. And our job should be to help them, not to
0: tell them that they're rubbish. <laughs> Even
1: being really blunt about it.
0: So I really like that analogy of the house guests, because I, I think it's it's so true. and And... A bit like you, I've actually the, when I was starting my career, I, I didn't interact much with consultants. But since leaving and, and going out um, for my contracting before starting Create Engage, it, it is like you say you, you see that dynamic, and I think that that house guest analogy is really true because sometimes consultants can focus on delivering the project and actually almost it, that is at the expense of. The client or their people which you know I'd welcome your view I guess is long term not a great strategy for growing business growing accounts but can sometimes be the challenge if you're for people if they don't have that understanding yeah I think that's absolutely right it's just uh, empathy is hugely
1: important in the work that we do and sometimes you can deliver the right outcome in the short term but actually deliver the wrong outcome in the long term and I guess everything that I've done certainly in latter part of my career has really tried to be about the long-term. It's been about the long-term relationship, the long-term benefit for the organization that I work for and the organizations we work with and for. So
0: just trying to have that long-term view about everything has, has really helped. When I was junior, I think one of the real challenges for me was that long-term view, because I think as you grow up, it's much easier to foster and almost for those listening or for your you know your analyst consultant senior consultant how do you help them see that when they might turn around to you and go well Alex it's easy for you you're a partner you can take the long-term view how do you help them start to build that mindset if I'm honest you have to have faith that when you do the right
1: thing that good outcomes come from that so and again it's one of the things I've always you know it's probably instilled in me from a very young age by my folks but I've always believed in doing the right thing and not doing the right thing for me, but doing the right thing for everyone around you. And sometimes that takes a real leap of faith. I think actually it's just really important for people to see that they've got role models who take that approach and that they've been successful to encourage people because, you know, it's quite hard to see. You know, if you're trying to measure long term outcomes and long term relationships and long term benefit, there is a leap of faith in it because you don't see it in the short term. So the role model point is really important and, you know, living and breathing it in the way in which you, you operate with your teams is really important and rewarding them when they sometimes
0: rewarding, recognizing when people make tough decisions is hugely important. I want to come back to all of that, and you, you've teamed me up for something I'm also very interested in, which is sort of some, the value side of, of your approach, because there's some really, really interesting things, and, and frankly, just some things I've always wanted to dig in since I started working with you. So one of the nice things about this is I get to find that sort of thing out. Okay. Uh, but I, I want to, again, just sort of bring us back to to just before Beringa. because I think there's an interesting question there. You know, now, bringer is hugely successful, you know, well-regarded in the industry, and and everyone wants to... Or, a lot of people I know are very keen to work here. So you, you've built that business phenomenally well over the last, well, is it 10 years you said you've been here? 13? 13 almost. Yeah. But obviously, like you said, you, you joined when it was structure, which was still a you know a decent sized business, but was was nowhere near the size it is now. And I, I think, correct me, but you joined as number, was it number two or number three in the practice? Number four, yeah. So, you know, it was at the time, I suspect, a, a slightly different proposition. And I'd be, I'd be fascinated about, How did that come up? You know, what was that opportunity that you leapt on? And do you remember any of the questions either you asked yourself or you asked others when when you were trying to make that decision of whether it was the right move for you? I suppose the the starting point or
1: the trigger for it was one of the people that I'd respected the most at Deloitte was a a senior manager I'd done some work with, a guy called Gareth Campbell. And I, I just, his value set and his way of working, his way of engaging both with clients and people internally was just aligned to how I saw myself and how I wanted to operate. And we were having a beer in the pub one evening and, you know, I I, we were both sort of having a bit of a moan about things, you know, the usual kind of stuff that you do. And um, he said, look, you know, I'm I'm leaving, I'm going to join this organization. Why don't you come and meet them? They're new, they're small, they want to build an FS practice. And, you know, the center of the strategy is around people. It's about building this amazing culture and driving a business that benefits from that. And I thought, well, I like you, I like working with you and that sounds fantastic. And I think I was struggling for broader role models at that time. You know, there were lots of people who I had huge respect for professionally, but being really honest, there wasn't anyone that I just wanted to be like at that organization at that time. And so I, you know, I went and met the people who were starting out the business, Adrian, who's now our managing partner and a few of the others. And there was just this gut reaction that said, You've got to work with these people. You know, this—you're not going to get an opportunity like this again. This is really exciting. You can build a business, and these people seem fantastic. A, they're super smart, but B, they were super high EQ, emotional intelligence, and very ambitious. And I thought, wow, that's that's interesting. So I phoned my wife after I met them and said, "I'm going to go and join this place." And she's like, "You're nuts!" But I've always been a great believer. If I feel something, yeah. you know, I, I will respond to it because I trust my gut a lot of the time and you know who who knew at that point that what it would turn into but it
0: proved to be a very good decision yeah and and i think the i think the gut points really important uh, i can't remember who said it and it was someone much wiser than me but you know, they were saying that almost every time they've not trusted their gut is the time it's gone wrong and I, I guess to your answer it's you some of these things you can overanalyze and actually if you just if you get that feeling from them it's right and yeah, try it.
1: I, I think that's absolutely spot on. There are, and I've learnt this again in slightly later life. Sure. It is important to challenge your gut as well because, okay. you know, sometimes partic- where, particularly where certain topics are concerned, you can have beliefs that are maybe if unchallenged, not that healthy. So I always try and have a group of people around me who will help help me challenge myself, and I really like that. But this was one of those where... I think I knew so in you know so deep down and intrinsically that this was the right thing to try that I'd be silly to
0: to pass it up so I'm go- I'm going to hold on that gut point because it's it's a I think a really important one and I'd love to hear I want to dig into your group but I'd love to hear how how you do that because you know if I speak from personal experience I think it can sometimes be hard to tell yourself whether you are rejecting your gut because it's the right decision or because you are pressured to do something be it for time, be it for money, whatever it is. And almost you you sort of persuade yourself out, you know, consultants are analytical types. It's very easy to to analyze yourself out of something. How do you, or does this group help you almost challenge that gut and make sure that your your head and is aligned to your heart in that respect?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky. The guy who I've basically been working for for a number of years and who I'm now taking over from, Dave Wilson, was phenomenal at that. So he was a brilliant devil's advocate drove me nuts at times, but actually I learned so much from that. And having people around you who you can use like that, who can play devil's advocate, and you can ask for permission to do that is really important. I think there's something about making sure that you've got enough people around you who've got different views, different perspectives, and and are not afraid to challenge you is hugely valuable. If you surround yourself with people who are just like you, think like you, inevitably it becomes an echo chamber and I've never wanted that so whilst I trust my gut a lot I also look for lots of reference points and I'm very very happy in fact I really encourage challenge and perspective from
0: different people on my thought process and the ways that we we do things. We will come on to to inclusion, diversity, and, and you've, t- you've teed up nicely some of the benefits that come from it. And I know, you know, I know you're really passionate about it and, and very active here at Beringa. So, so really keen to, to build on that. I guess I want to touch on because there will be people who are like you were then thinking about making that move. I guess it sounds like for you, it, it all landed, and it all felt like right. This is the right decision. Were there any concerns that you had, or or that you now you know see when you're interviewing candidates of almost? Going from that big brand where, you know, you've got the, the credibility, you've got the badge, you've, you've got every, all of the people around you to almost taking that jump and going to a, you know, from an FS practice of what I guess must have been hundreds to an FS practice of four. Yeah, I mean, I was terrified.
1: You know, I mean, it, it sounds very easy, but, you know, I was terrified because you, you sort of think, well, I'm exposed. I'm utterly exposed. You know, there's nowhere to hide. And part of me loved that because I was, you know, this is, if you're going to be successful at anything, you can't hide. You can't fake it. You have to just be good. You have to be good at your job. And when I interview people, I always look for three things. I look for IQ, but I don't want people to necessarily be the smartest. Intelligence is important, but it's not the be all and end all. I look for EQ, so emotional intelligence, and that's hugely important to me. And then I look for work ethic. And I think if you can combine those three things, then you will be a phenomenally successful consultant. But I was worried did I have the IQ? Did I have the work ethic? You know, did, uh, so that fear was definitely there. But I guess I wanted to trust, I, I trusted myself enough and I wanted
0: to prove myself as well. Those all sound like brilliant reasons to do it. Was it that drive to, like you say, prove yourself that almost overcame those nerves or was there, any, you know, was there anything else in terms of you knew Deloitte was going to be there or you, you could go back to Zuri? I'm just, I guess I'm trying to, to just get that sense of for anyone listening who's, who's making that same decision, yeah. how, how can they get over that fear or how do you guide people if it's something that, that people have brought to you? I'm probably the
1: wrong person to ask in some ways <laughs> because I think I'm, I'm, I tend to be a little bit impulsive. You know, I, <laughs> The things I enjoy in life, if, if, I look, if I see something and I think it looks like great fun or it looks like a challenge, I tend to just go and do it because I fear not doing these things more than I fear the consequence of doing them if that makes sense. So to me, it was a tremendously exciting opportunity. You know, let's face it, the business was really well run and it was, you know, well established already. It was 50-person consultancy. So it wasn't just going off on my own. But I also thought I'm not going to get many opportunities like this. And I thought I would just kick myself if I didn't try it. And I didn't really think much beyond that, if I'm <laughs> honest. And I've been very lucky, you know. There was a moment in my life, actually, this will probably give you a bit more of insight into my psyche. There was a moment in my life where... As a a kid, I was very sort of frightened of things. I was quite a timid kid and it held me back from stuff. So what I've realized about myself is that everything that I've done in in my adult life has been about trying to make up for the things I was afraid of when I was younger, in some ways. And I had a, uh, a good friend of mine when I was in my early 20s who really sadly just dropped down dead of a heart attack. He had a sudden adult death syndrome and uh, his brother said at his funeral stood up at his funeral and said if he'd known he was going to die on this day I don't think he would have lived a day of his life differently and that had an incredibly profound effect on me so almost it was like a light bulb going off from that moment I think I was prepared to take risks and prepared to try things because my fear became not of what might happen it was more
0: what would happen if I didn't try it and I think it's mean, so- a really powerful story and and i think that i i massively agree with you and and funnily enough similar that came to me in i guess in that sort of 20s now i do think it is amazing how many people will will hold themselves back from taking those opportunities almost that fear of, yeah. of failure and actually i think it's i almost think it's quite hard for if you've not either had an experience like that or or not experienced a failure because i think one of the challenges in our industry is if you've gone through your your you know, your teenager school years getting A's, you go to university, you get your your two one or your first, and then you're into a job. Actually you've never failed. And therefore, I don't know if you read Carol Dweck Growth Mindset. No. I will uh, I will send you a copy. Um she talks all about that of almost the the difference between growth and fixed mindset, fix being you know, I have these attributes, I can't do anything else, growth being what you've just said of I can improve where I am, I can improve what I do, and actually I, I need to take but to do that, you need to put yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm. And I think that's you know really powerful advice of almost try it and see what happens after that we should probably say as well your hobbies include race car driving and plane you know, flying planes so you, to what you were saying you know you do sort of flirt at the extreme end of of activities yeah but the, th- the things that i'd I, you know I, I was a kid that walked around with a toy car in one
1: hand and a toy plane in another and they were just i think those just sort of ingrained in me and i again it sort of got to that stage where you think. I will kick myself if I never try these things. And I, you know, I'm very lucky I have a, a wife and a family who encourage and support me with it because they know it makes me happy. But that bit you talk about in terms of a fear of failure and I think as an industry and as a, as a group of people, we are terrible at talking about our failures. And one of the things I've tried to do in, certainly in the last year or two and, and you know, with the team is I talk very openly about the failures I make, I've made and I continue to make you know, I've had some almighty failures along the lines. I don't think we should be shy about it. And I, you know, I sent a note out to the practice the other day where I was talking about a week that I'd had that was just disastrous. I was hopeless. But and, and you get some really nice notes back going, it's lovely to to see that sort of side of things because we don't talk about it enough. But I I, I was very lucky actually. My first boss, it was almost like the first week in, he was he was a pretty senior guy and he said, um, I want you to make mistakes i genuinely want you to make mistakes but i want you to learn from them and if you make the same one twice i'll fire you and that had a you know again talk about moments in your career that had a really profound effect on me because i i took that quite literally actually (laughs) i i had a i had a you know you've got to go and try and i try and pass that on to people that work for me and, and with me yeah by all means we all make mistakes and do it but don't ever make the same one twice because that just shows you're not learning.
0: <laughs> I want to fast forward a little bit and I'll let you sort of press the button as fast as you want. is always the next thing that I guess I entered the scene, you know, I joined what 2012 I think. So I think you were yeah. I think you were a senior manager or director when I joined. And I guess the interesting thing for for me then and I'm sure for for some of our listeners is you made partner relatively young. Um you can tell me how old you were. So forgive me my research isn't as good as it should be. But I'm almost you mentioned around just your career being you know quite a series of opportunities you you just you 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 took the most out of and, and made the best of was there ever a point where you know between manager and and sort of you know just before that you you'd, you had one of those moments where you you took a conscious choice to say right I'm going for this was there a, a sort of plan for it and if not what was that journey that took you there
1: in all honesty i've had so many wobbles during my consulting career it's untrue mm. you know i've at numerous points seriously question whether it's what I want to do and why I want to do it often coinciding with difficult projects or you know mistakes that I've made along the way so it's not you know from the outside it all looks very seamless you know you get a job straight after university you you know you go into industry you then go to a big four you go there you then hop into a small consultancy you help build it and hey presto by sort of mid-30s you make partner. You know, from the inside, it's felt anything but that. It looks more like a seismograph, you know, in my <laughs> head, anyway. So I think I've never really had a career plan. I've taken opportunities that have come my way and I've probably created some. But equally, I was never just focused on being a partner. I was focused on always trying to do the best job I could. And if that then took me to the next level, then so be it. But it wasn't as though I was from day one, I'm going to be a partner. And actually even, you know, until probably two years ago, I wasn't even that sure I wanted to be a BU lead. You know, I I enjoyed being a partner. Why did I want to be a BU lead? But you you sort of, you kind of get to a level and you you sort of working out whether you're good enough for it. And the first few months, six months, a year, you think, crikey, I just want to be good enough at this level. And then you start realising that you can do it. And then you start thinking, well, actually, I can do the next thing. And consulting is a bit of a weird career in in many ways because there is such a linear, you know, sort of career path that you can follow. But this is rather a long-winded way of saying I'd I'd never set out with that as my ambition. I'd almost taken it a day at a time and only gave myself the permission to think about the next thing. When I was comfortable, I could do what I was doing at that point in time.
0: How did you? You mentioned there that you know, it's not been seamless, and that you know you've had those times where you've questioned: is it right? Do you want to keep doing it? How have you you turned that corner? And is there anything that you you, know, you regularly turn to, be it you know, people, be it Dave, be it your, your wife, other friends? Is it books? How, how have you got yourself around from those periods when they've happened? I think um,
1: I've realised that
0: having balance between work and
1: home is really important I don't always get it right you know I'd love to see more of my family and, and not ju- I mean my wife and kids certainly but you know my broader family I'm very family orientated but I think it is really important to have things that distract you and take you away from work you can't think about it all the time or you'll find yourself I'm sure people who listen to this will recognize that we all have times where we wake up and our jaw hurts and our teeth hurt because we've been grinding our You know grinding our teeth during the night because we're thinking about work you know you can go through phases like that but you can't live your life like that so I've always tried to create balance outside of work you you touched on some of the things I like doing outside of work they're really important to me you know they give me time and headspace away from work and I'm not obsessed by work I really love my job I really I really enjoy it but I recognize
0: it's hugely challenging
1: I aim to enjoy life overall, and work is an important part of that, but it's not my life.
0: And I think that's really powerful advice. And I can't remember if it was while I was here or afterwards, but I do remember you making that point of uh, even at the, the the role you have now, you know, you still you carve out that time. And like you say, you, you know, you, you may not always get it right, but you, you aim to work just the same as you know, anyone else in the team, and almost role model that. How do you do that? Because you know, I, I, as you said, you know, I'm now running my own business. It's it's hard to switch off from that. How do you do that? When you know, I saw Christine earlier. She said the practice is fifty now. Is that right? yeah, almost yeah. So you've got fifty people reporting into you. How, how do you, either structure your time or manage that team so that you can take that time away? Well, ask a good
1: question. So uh, first of all, it's not all me because there's obviously four other partners, and I like to you know I like to be very connected with the team, but I can't I can't be there for everyone all the time. So I think I just get comfortable with that. I get comfortable sometimes that I have to drop things as well i, I yeah it's a, it's an interesting question. I think you just have to be your own barometer and you'll know intrinsically whether you're getting it right or not. You know I have some weeks where I think oh I'm been a bit lazy, I probably need to work a bit harder. I have other weeks where I think you know crikey, you know this isn't sustainable, mm-hmm. but i don't I try not to judge it in the short term. I look at it over sort of the an extended timeline and I think do I have the balance right? And the, you know, the wonderful thing is I feel in control and partly that's a privilege of being a partner. So if I'm not in control as a business owner, well, what hope does anyone else have? So I feel a responsibility to feel that, behave that way, demonstrate that to my team, encourage them to feel accountable as well. But yeah, crikey, if as a partner, you can't set your own agenda then what hope do you have? <laughs> what hope does anyone have?
0: <laughs> I want to turn to something that you you just mentioned about uh, actually taking that step up to be you lead. And it's it's just to jump on what you said around you know, two years ago, you, you weren't even, you weren't sure you wanted it. And this might, the, the answer to this might be quite quick to to the point you said around, actually you felt you'd, you'd mastered the grade you were at or were comfortable there. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. What What was it for you that, made you comfortable two years ago that actually, yes, that is the next step and I want to take it. I think part of it was crystallizing by, you know,
1: Dave, you know, announcing that he wanted to retire. You know, he was a phenomenal BU lead. and I learned, uh, you know, more than I'd probably ever tell him in public that I I have from him. I've learned a huge amount from him. I realized I could never be him. So it was quite important early on to not try to replicate that. Anyone who's met Dave Wilson (laughs) will know he is utterly (laughs) unique and brilliant but I needed to do it in my own way. And I think I just got increasingly comfortable that I could do that and that people would see that as a really good thing. I think it just felt natural. It, and it, sounds, really, it sounds really bizarre, but it just felt like a natural progression to me. What's been interesting is how, how I've then felt since becoming BU Lead. And some of the things that, you know, you, you sort of, you probably don't, it's like any grade that you move into. There are things that you don't know, you don't really realize and you work out as you get there. What have those been? The biggest thing for me, actually, the biggest surprise is that feeling of obligation to a whole team. And the, the feeling of, I need to build the leadership of the future. And this probably sounds a bit corny, but at some point I'm going to retire. I don't know when that is because I don't, I mean, as I've already said, I don't really have a great life plan, but I'm going to need to retire. And this business, it will be. It will be bigger and it will be better by that point in time. Otherwise, I will have failed. But that need to build a team that can then pick it up and run with it at that point in time is the thing that probably sits front and center of my mind. So that means developing people within, getting them ready for those leadership roles, bringing them through, coaching, developing. You know, that's, that's sort of become crystal clear to me You know, almost within the first few weeks, actually, I felt that sense of obligation. And um, that's what I will spend my time focusing on is building the leadership team for the next phase of our growth. But in doing that, you're building for the day as well. But it's also, you know, come back to that, take a long term view on things. This is build for the long term. And we have some incredibly talented people in our business and people who I know will be far better at the job than I've been able to be,
0: you know, when they get there. And there's an interesting part of, of, I guess, that task for you. And and this, well, you tell me if this is an interesting or the interesting part of also doing exactly what you've just explained with the rate of growth that you've had. And I'm sure want to continue. You know, if I think, I mean, gosh, when I left the insurance practice, I think it was probably 15 of us, maybe 10. And the firm as a whole was 350, let's say. And you're now, like you said, 50 plus in insurance, 700 plus across the firm. How, if it does at all, does that that scaling add to your challenge or, you know, the things that you're currently focusing on that you just explained?
1: Well, in some ways, life becomes a bit easier because, you know, we have, you know, compared to when you were here, we have more brand presence, we have more market presence, we have more people, so we have more capability. So, you know, in that regard, some things become a bit easier. In other regards, it becomes a little bit harder. But I think if you... You know, for me, we always put, and I'm particularly passionate about this, we put people sort of at the heart and center of the strategy. Mm. Because if you hire the right people, they do great things. They look after each other. They do brilliant things for clients. Clients want to work more with you. You know, it's just this sort of amazing flywheel effect. So for me, it's about making the best possible hires. It's about making sometimes really tough decisions in terms of, whether people should remain in the business and giving people feedback that is quite frankly at times uncomfortable but is you know it has to be given and making sure you've
0: got the right team
1: there. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question.
0: Uh, so well it does and I guess it's it's interesting to hear the hear your perspective on it and actually the the uh, because I, I, you know, now you've said it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Of actually, as you're getting bigger, certain things get easier, not harder. You know, because like you say, you've got all of those things around you. Um, and I must say, I've I've certainly benefited from the growth of the brand since leaving. So you know, thank you for that, and keep going. <laughs> but it is an interesting point, and actually, you know, you've you've said there as well. I guess the the not shying away from the, the difficult conversations yeah. as well. And it actually it brings us onto something that. I've always wanted to ask you about, and this is again, one of the, the nice things of hosting a podcast like this with people I know. And this may sound like you say bit, a bit cheesy, but when I was working for you and, and subsequently, you know, you're probably one of the, the few people in life, and this, this isn't to offend anyone else who's not in, in the room, of, who I've, I've never heard anyone speak ill of. You know, I think there's sometimes, and I characterize things for this podcast, just to, to drive the point home of there's almost a characterization that success has to come with having trodden on people or you know, having to done something a bit dodgy to get there. And I, I think you're a real testament to, to the fact that's not the case. And I I know we talked about it a little bit before we recorded, but I'd love to understand what led you to take that approach in life and where that comes from and how that plays out in everything you do, really.
1: Yeah. I mean, firstly, it's a huge compliment. So thank you. I, I'm not sure everyone would necessarily agree <laughs> with you. Um, I'm sure there are people who've found me difficult. And I, I know I can be difficult at times. I've always had a, quite a strong value set that was instilled in me by my my mum in particular and my, my grandparents. So I've always, I've always sort of had this belief that you do right by people. And I guess I've been lucky in in as much as I had sort of faith that that will pay off and and does pay off. It's probably also partly from the fact that I realized that I'm, I'm not the best person at the job I do. And to be successful, you need really good people around you. So if you think it's all about you and your success and your career, then you're not making the most of all the people, all the assets that you have around you. And I'm a great believer that you get the best possible answer by having a group of really motivated, smart people who will work well together, challenge each other, and come up with great answers. In consulting businesses, if you want a really smart person, you can go to the market and you can get an independent contractor. You can find individuals. The beauty of consultancies is the collective brain power and work ethic of that business. So I've always thought that the best way to tap into that is by trying to get the most from people around me and then they get the best out of me and together we get the best answer for our clients. I I try not to shy away from tough conversations with people, but I, I hope that when I do have them, they recognize that it's coming from the point of, I want you to be better. I want us to be better. And from a point of positivity rather than negativity, and I've always been very
0: happy to give people credit for things where it's it's due to them, not me. And I think there's in what you said there around almost that humility that's really really important. I think it's it's interesting, and and it's it's not the first time I've I've heard it from someone you know in your position of actually that not seeing yourself as the best or the brightest it's yeah. but i think that's very often like you said around the you know, how people perceive your story from the outside now you know people will look at you and go oh yeah, he must be a, a genius a rocket scientist and, and all of those things but it's interesting hearing you say that actually it's about the the team you build around you not your individual skills
1: well i learned i was not a genius very early on so i failed my first year at university did you uh, yeah i did i so we talked about failures earlier so i failed my my first year engineering degree and uh, had to go and start again and do another course but i realized that the thing i i I am quite good at is i'm i'm quite good with people not everyone um but i am you know i am good at people and i think i'm good at getting the best out of people or at least that that's what i would hope people would say about me so yeah working out that you know me on my own Alex trying to solve things on his own is definitely not the way to come up with the best possible answer.
0: How do you do that? For you, how do you get the best out of your team?
1: I try and get to know them. So for me, it's really important to know people as individuals, to know what makes them tick, to know what they want to achieve. Every conversation with a colleague, I try and ask, what can I do to help you? Because it's important. You know, it's really important that people feel they're getting something from the relationship with you and from working with you. Otherwise it's a one way transaction. And I think we make this mistake as an industry far too often. We see people as units and you know of, of productivity rather than individuals who have careers and motivations and aspirations, fears and everything else. So I try to get to know people and I try to work out how I can help them achieve what they want. And in doing that, you know, how we can work together to to get, you know, the best possible outcome. And that's time consuming.
0: But it's really rewarding. It's a really interesting point. I mean, firstly, like you said, the, there is a challenge in our industry with people are units of utilization and, and not, not seen as people. And that can at its worst filter down you know, through behaviors. But there's, there's an interesting part of what you said there that I guess, yes, it is time consuming upfront, but actually the, you know, the dividends you reap from that, that investment, to use a bad metaphor, is really powerful. And I guess that's what you know, what you've been able to to do over your career is those those beers and time spent you know, early on learning about people and their their wants and needs and helping them is is what helps them grow in the future. Yeah, it's trying to someone used the term
1: psychological safety. You know, the other day with me, it's trying to create an environment of psychological safety and where you, you have this sort of relationship of mutual trust and understanding and. And you you can deliver great things when you've got that environment. If people think I'm in it for me, and it's the same with clients, actually. You know, I take exactly the same approach with clients as I will with people internally. I want to know my clients. I want to know what they need, not only in terms of the project and the deliverable and the outcome, but what is it they need? What is it they want more broadly? And then you, you develop a deeper relationship. And it's not done from the point of view of I do it because I want to sell more work to someone. It's done because i genuinely like people and i really like trying to help people you know it's it sounds really cheesy but it's just it's just how i've always operated
0: well i so i completely agree with you alex it's, there's a jim roan quote that i can't remember where i heard but it was pretty simple in that if you want to to get what you want give other people what they want and and I think to everything you've just said, it's amazing how true that is. And, and it's amazing you know, in, in what I do now, helping consulting firms with marketing. It's amazing how many people I'll speak to who might say, we want to sell our things to CEOs. And actually, like you've just highlighted, I, I always say, well, there's no such thing. There's people, people have challenges, personal goals. And, and like you say, actually, by understanding what motivates others, you can, you can help give them what they want. And you know, that could lead to you both being successful. That's exactly it. I don't want to sell anything to anyone. What I want to do is help
1: people. I want to help businesses. I want to help individuals. I want to, I want to help make them better. Because that's really, really rewarding. Selling something is potentially gratifying just for you as an individual. Helping people, helping
0: businesses is rewarding for you know much broader reasons. So it wasn't necessarily a topic I was going to dive on, but I'd be interested just to to expand on that a little. Because I think one of the things that I remember from my time here is to everything you've just said, you were, you were very good at building out those relationships and the accounts that came with it. And I think to everything you've mentioned around some of the challenges in our industry, there is almost for some a, a challenge around selling and that view, you know, I'm sure you you still hear it. I heard it. You know, people who are, I'm a delivery person. I'm not a not a salesperson. And it, it may just be everything you've just said, but for us, you know, put in that sales environment. But how do you help people, particularly maybe in those senior grades where they're starting to have to produce business? Almost make that mindset shift from i guess what what you've highlighted of you know, you're not trying to sell you're trying to to build that relationship i mean now you can never start doing
1: it too soon so i was i guess because of the way i'm wired I, I like people i like spending time with people so i've i've probably always done it from you know a very early early stage in my career but it's genuinely done because i like them and i want to spend time with them and if you spend enough time with people you understand more about their business you understand where the challenges are for their organization for them as individuals etc you build up trust and at a point in time someone will say to you can you help me so all the conversations i tend to have i mean i i I don't go to people and say i've got this do you want one what happens is people pick up the phone and say i've got this problem can you help solve it and you know the answer is not always yes and shouldn't always be yes because that's disingenuous as well and certainly when we try and solve problems, it's not always me that's going to be solving them because you know I, I can't, we've got many more talented people than me in this business. So I, I, I don't feel that I've ever really sold. I feel like I've built relationships because I like people and it's done with, you know, done with the right intentions and at the right time people come and ask for help. And I don't know that it's any more complicated than that. And I know that sounds, again, it
0: sounds very glib, but it's just, it's how it's turned out. I, I have exactly the same view as you, so I, I I completely see that. I guess for anyone listening to this, who would have been listening to this up until say this this section, I said oh, I'm a delivery specialist, I'm a delivery person. You know, now there are in, in any environment there are people who actually that's a, a very valid career path, and they want to be a technical specialist, let's yeah. say. But particularly for those who who aspire to, you know, to to take that step up to partner, and if it's not a conversation you've had with anyone, we can move on. But but how do you help people? who maybe don't naturally have your you know your inclination to to that relationship building to almost help them start to move towards that. So I'm always blown away by this because inevitably delivery
1: people are hugely valued. You know and the clients often place enormous value on them more so than they place on themselves. And what what always blows me away is people go in do a phenomenal job and then go and you know we talk about being a good house guest and it's really important that you do but that doesn't mean that your relationship with someone stops and i think what people do is they neglect that relationship and then they almost don't have a way back to have a conversation with someone so for me it was always about i like again come back to if you're a delivery person you have a skill that someone places value on if you like people stay in touch with people understand how that delivery's you know been implemented how well it's gone afterwards and keep the relationship going don't do it if it feels disingenuous, but do it because it, you know, it feels good. You like the people you work with. And I always, you know, come back to, I, we talked about offering, how can I help people? How can I help you internally? I will always make the same offer to the people that I, I have relationships with in industry. So at the end of every meeting that I have with someone, I'll say, is there anything I can do to help you? And that's not because I want you to say, yes, here's a piece of work. I want you to buy a piece of work. But you might just want to know what's happening in the market. You might just want a bit of insight on something. You might want a bit of thought leadership. And I'm very happy to do that because a relationship is very much a two way thing. So make those offers, be prepared to help people beyond the immediate delivery you're involved in. That's not about suddenly becoming a salesperson. It's just about thinking about the way you interact
0: with people slightly differently. And as there's something really powerful almost in, in that point you highlighted there about not becoming a salesperson of almost by doing that early, like you said, you build the relationship such that you don't need to become a, you don't need to sell in the sort of inverted commas, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street way that people think. And actually it's almost by, if you don't do what you said, that's where you find yourself without relationships, without people to speak to, and suddenly you fall back on some of those, the cold calling or whatever the equivalent, whatever that equivalent is in your space. So I want to turn to something that we've touched on a a couple of times. You mentioned about how how passionate the firm is and and you are on people and you've got awards to prove it. How many years is it now for the Great Place to Work Award? Uh, uh, Well, it's been as long as I've been here, so it's at least 13 years. So yeah you know, for anyone who doesn't know an award that basically assesses from your team as well as we're saying how people enjoy working here and I think you've been at the number one or top ten i, I think I saw it, it's a hall you know in the Hall of fame because of it, yes, but i'd be really keen to turn to a topic within that that I know you're really passionate about, which is diversity and inclusion I think consulting is is doing a lot, but there are still a lot of white men like us. What is it that you're doing here at Boringa and almost what is it that the industry needs to do more of in your opinion to, to improve that diversity and, and bring more people in in that inclusive way? Wow it's a big, big question
1: let's start with why we do it and why we should do it so I fundamentally believe that you know it comes back to that sort of the point earlier about echo chambers the more diverse the organization I think the, the richer the thinking and it's not just diversity from a gender perspective or an ethnicity perspective, but it's that sort of genuine diversity of thought, of thought process, of, of uh, you know, solutioning. I think the more diverse your organization is, the more creative your answers, the better the outcome. And fundamentally, I believe that that then delivers better outcomes for your clients. And then that follows through into profitability for your business. So to me, it's a really simple equation in terms of, The more diversity we drive into our business, but more importantly, the more inclusive we are, the more successful we'll be. And increasingly, we're seeing our clients demanding it of us as well. Now, I think the challenge is you've got to do it with absolute authenticity. What you can't have is a number that you target that says, I need X percent of my population to be like this. Because anyone can hit a number. You can do it but you won't create an environment that fosters that inclusive way of that, you know, that diverse way of thinking and values that, you know, everything that that brings. So I think it makes just great business sense. I've been blown away by some of the people that we've brought in and the different way of thinking that they've brought with them and what that's then done to our team. It's been phenomenal from my perspective. What does the industry do overall crikey i mean starting with that understanding i think is really important so understanding why you're doing it fundamentally believing it as well then driving diversity for the right reasons and authentically it's hugely important it's not easy it's really it's really really not easy but the other thing i suppose is I realized very early on that what it required was for me to do things differently. So you need to think differently. You need to be more open and receptive to different ways of thinking, different ways of engaging with people. You need to make different recruitment decisions. You know, you need to value different things and what you can't do is sit there and say, I'm going to do what I've done for my entire career and let someone else sort it out and it will suddenly change. It's like any big, societal change anything that really matters everyone every single person needs to do something differently and for each individual that will be different but you need to make the change it's you as nick and alex and everyone else in an organization it doesn't just happen because you've got a dni lead because you've got a dni team because you've got a gender network etc yeah
0: and i think that's a a really important point actually like you say around very often people can respond to these sort of things, which just, like you highlighted, create a team, create a role, create an initiative. And actually it's, it's much more structural. And how do you do that across the partnership? So, so you mentioned there, you know, it starts with the person and I, I, and I completely agree. Obviously the the interesting part of a consulting business model compared to a, a sort of client you might work with is you're not the, the CEO who can say, right, this is how we're gonna do it. You, you know, you have a group of fellow partners that that's quite large. How have you or how how would you recommend people go on that journey to, as a firm, embrace diversity and inclusion?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's no there's no golden bullet. I think, first of all, is the recognition of the importance of it. So you have to educate people in the first instance. And sometimes you're challenging some fairly deeply held views as well. I think you, you have to create an environment where people are curious. So for me, I, I you know, I love curious people. I love people who are willing and open to be challenged. And probably the best thing I ever did, I don't know if she, she'll she be listening, she's, she's not with us anymore, but I had reverse m- mentoring by a lady called Hafsa. And she left a really profound mark on me because it was one of those, I mean, reverse mentoring for anyone that do- doesn't know is basically, you know, if you're senior, you get reverse mentored by someone who's more junior in the organization. And you get to live a day or two days or, you know, a number of days in someone else's shoes. And it was absolutely amazing. You know, I, I came out, having had a number of my preconceptions quite firmly challenged.
0: Can you give us, because I love the concept, can you give some examples, if, if yeah, not it's just, personal?
1: No, 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 I'm more than happy. So it's things like, um, you know, it, it Hafsa to taught to me about microaggressions, which I found fascinating.
0: Sorry, my, microaggressions or microaggressions? Aggressions. Okay.
1: So how it can be, in a completely unintended way, it can be quite easy to hurt someone not through a big slight or a big action, but by lots and lots of repeated small things. And she used the great example of, you know, saying, oh, where are you from? I'm from Crawley. No, but where are you from, really? Where you? And the implication being, you don't look like me. You can't possibly be from England. And how those things just build up over time. And what it does is it just gets you to think differently. And, you know, so I love things like that because it's just the the curiosity to want to go and live in someone else's shoes for a little bit and understand what makes them tick, you know, what you can do to help make them successful, what you might do at the moment that might frustrate and, and get in the way. So I think driving that curiosity into an organization and the partners demonstrating that they are curious and want to make a change and want to make a difference but I come back to doing it for the right reasons. Not doing it because you're told you have to, not doing it because you're trying to hit a number, but because you just want to, and you know that your business will be
0: better if you do it well. We may come back to the reverse mentoring just because I love the concept and I'm sure you've learned a ton of other things that we can dig into there. But how do you do that, I guess, in terms of getting more people in at the top? So if you think of the diversity inclusion like any other funnel is, you need to get more people in at the start, and then you need to keep them through the stages. Now, I know, you know for instance, with with women, I was speaking with another guest who, who made the point actually that actually there's research that says you lose a lot of women around um, sort of the age that they have children. But how do you get enough people in at the top and almost knowing about consulting and knowing about you know, a firm like Boringa? Because if, if I think back to when I was at university, and maybe it was just me being naive, I, I barely knew what a consultancy was. I still you know, still struggle to explain it now to anyone. But Either what do you do or, or what have you done or, or how can others start to open that door so you get more diversity at the top to let you get more diversity as you or more diversity at the bottom so you can get that more diversity at the top? So we don't struggle to attract diverse talent. There's okay. huge amounts of it out there.
1: So you know, we've got our interviews for our internship going on at the moment. Uh, you know, we've had over 300 applicants for 30-odd roles. Wow. And the diversity within that group is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And they are incredibly talented individuals. So you can, you can drive diversity in through through your recruitment at, at the bottom. I think the most important thing is creating an environment where people want to stay. And, it, you know, I find it quite hard talking about this thing sometimes because clearly, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guy, I'm a white guy. I've got a wife and four children. I've probably become, I think the phrase I use is you, you've got to become comfortable being uncomfortable with some of these conversations. I still find them uncomfortable. But you've got to create an environment where people want to stay and people feel that they can be successful being themselves. So that's where the inclusivity bit comes is really important. I think we're lucky here in some ways because we've got a culture that was you know, founded on, or a strategy and a culture that was founded on putting the people at the heart of it. And we, like every organization, have challenges in terms of retaining people all the way through to the very top. I think what you can't do is just try and recruit your way out of it. So try and recruit people in at the top. I think that's disingenuous as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's one way of doing it, but I think you have to recruit, nurture, develop talent all the way through and and also recognize that it takes time. And that, you know, I come back to that point around, it means that you, every single one of you has to do something slightly differently, think slightly differently, be more curious, be more open-minded be more willing to listen
0: to challenge and be challenged so i think that challenge point and I, I it teases nicely up to come back to the, the reverse mentoring because i and the only reason i i'm interested to touch on it is i've heard of the concept before but i think there's there's a lot in there that i'm sure will be interesting for people who are in you know either similar positions to yourself or actually and this is you know this might just be my own my own judgments and biases of almost those more junior to you particularly where if they've just made partner i always think that's quite an interesting as an outsider i've never been there but i always think there's an interesting dynamic there of your you're sort of trying to find your feet in in something and and for some people that can lead to you know behaviors changing for good and for bad and i'm fascinated for anyone listening who's thinking who's either in that position or where you are of almost why did buringa as a firm i assume it's firm wide by the way Launch this reverse mentoring. And, you know, you alluded to some of, or you you went into detail on some of the profound effect it's had on you, you know, almost what benefit would it have for others if they're they're on the fence or they hadn't heard of it until this interview? So we piloted it and we're about to launch a second phase of it. I think recognition
1: that, you know, when when you're me, you look like me, you've had my kind of upbringing. I just don't know, you know, I'm naive. You know, I need to have my eyes open to this and the best people to do that other people that you're trying to recruit, retain, develop. So why on earth wouldn't you look to that population to help you better understand? You know, I I don't have answers. The answers sit within our organization. So uh, that's why we did it. And, it, you know, it was, and it, there was no one topic, you know, people could talk about things that were relevant to them. It was about them as individuals, understanding them as individuals and what it was like to be them. So there was a wide range of of subjects you know and, and topics that we did the reverse mentoring around it wasn't just about gender it wasn't just about ethnicity albeit that's what my personal experience was
0: so and when you say topics just just to help help elaborate so you would have sessions on or you would have one-to-ones with someone and, yeah. and it would be on a topic of you, know, you mentioned diversity or i suspect you know, management styles or whatever else the topics were yeah,
1: so Hafsa was, I mean, she, she led, led me through the process, really. So it would be about what she wanted to talk about. And it would be a completely safe environment where I could ask questions. And, you know, in a safe environment where I didn't feel that I was going to be judged, it was done from the point of view of wanting, you know, being curious and wanting to learn. And from her perspective about these are the things that I want you to understand about what it's like to be me because you could never understand otherwise. You've not lived my life. You've not had the kind of background I've had. You know, she gave me books to read. Wow. And um, it it was just one of those, you know, it was just one of those fascinating processes to go through. You know, different people took different, uh, you know, tacks, what it was like to, you know, we had people who were talking about what it's like to have mental health challenges at work. You know, it's one of the the things that uh, sadly we see, you know, quite a lot of in our industry because it is a high pressure industry you know people would talk about that and just create
0: that safe and open environment where people could learn i, I love the idea and i guess and, and this might be one I, I should ask her not yourself of almost the question that always, those sort of sessions always leave me with is, what did you do or need to do up front to, to get your team comfortable you, know, you mentioned it was a safe environment which is almost the outcome you made a safe environment but how how for anyone listening who almost thinks i want to do this do you do that because i'm very conscious to people who are much more junior than you they will you know they'll be quite concerned oh alex is the you know he's the head of insurance he's a big boss if i say the wrong thing to him if i tell him he's you know this or that he's going to fire me how how do you get how did you get people comfortable enough to have that safe space and that safe conversation yeah i mean we did quite a lot of prep so there's quite a lot of
1: i say training it wasn't training there were sessions beforehand And it was really about setting the ground rules and helping people to understand. I mean, there's a great tendency, you know, the more senior you become to try to think that you are there to solve problems. And as my wife repeatedly tells me, don't try and solve my problem. This isn't about you trying to fix something. What you're here to do is to listen and empathize and understand and and learn and you know that was we had to spend quite a lot of time drilling into that at the beginning because there's definitely a consultant's tendency to want to fix things, you know, and that wasn't what this was about.
0: <laughs> so I'm I'm laughing because my wife gives me the same advice, Um and and. It's brilliant and, advice it, it, well. it is, and it's advice I'm still, I, I try my best every day and regularly fail to, uh, to succeed at. I think, um, I think I'm a fixer, which is not, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad. It's...
1: So I, I've got a colleague at the moment who, <laughs> I, won't, I won't name her, but I, she's one of my go-to people for advice and guidance when I need it. And sometimes she'll tap me on the shoulder and say, Alex, you were mansplaining again. <laughs> um, and I always think having people around you who can, who can keep you grounded and hold you honest is really important. You know, we come back to, you know, my wife is very, very definitely one of those people for me.
0: Well, and I think it's it's a really important point, actually, that we haven't mentioned throughout. But, I, you know, I know from my time here and, and you can tell me if it's still the same, but I think actually it's that having that psychological safety and, and that relationship with people at all grades that you, you can. You know, I know when I was here, I would have, I mean, I wouldn't have told you you were mansplaining, but I I know I would have been comfortable to have that conversation with yourself or a Dave. But actually, it, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And I guess that's where, like you said, it's that that putting people at the heart of your strategy that lets you do that. Mm, that's absolutely right. So Alex, we've covered so much today and I would love to stay and, and keep talking, but obviously I know you've got a lot of things to do and, and you've taken a good amount of time for this. So thank you very much for that. So I, I want to close with with, two questions. These are the ones I ask all my guests. And and, and I know you've listened to a few of my shows, so I'm sure you know what's coming here. So the first one, and recent interviews may mean this question changes. You may be the last one who gets this, I don't know, is is about books. And so we've talked a bit about things that have had an impact on you. And for me, books have had quite a profound impact. So I, I always like to ask my guests, and if books aren't your thing, Tell me, is there a book or books that that have either had that impact on you, or you find yourself giving to others or recommending to to help them on their journeys? So I love books. I really love books, but I never read management books. Um, Okay.
1: Because I, for me, books are one of my escapisms. So I, I love fiction and I love history books. Probably the one I found most interesting recently, I read a, just finished reading a book called Prisoners of Geography. Which is well worth a read. Okay. It's, it it's nothing to do with the world of consulting, but it's just one of those books that, if you're curious about the world in which we live,
0: it's uh, it's a great read. What you, you, you've teased me there. What give me give me the uh, the synopsis? It's really about geopolitics, and it's
1: about the way in which the geography within which nations sit, the sort of physical geography, the way that determines their foreign policy and their the reasons why they go to war or or don't and the way in which they behave on the world stage wow. it's, a, it's one of those fascinating books that you sort of you sit and read and think this has been written by someone who's incredibly smart very worldly wise but just helps explain why the world ticks in the way it does
0: wow and it's it's interesting because you're not the first guest who has actually said similar you know the, the book I'm going to go. I'm going to go have a look. Um, and, and funnily enough, I think there's, that's going to go on some people's Christmas present lists. I know we're only, you know, only in February, but I can. I know a few people I know will love that. But it, it's interesting that actually, it was. Um, I've had a few guests now, like like yourself, who who see books as that relaxation and like you said, escapism. And actually, it's it's the joy of reading and taking yourself either into another world or a, a learning area. Um, I'm intrigued. What's your what's your go to fiction series? Is there a series or is there a genre you? towards um,
1: I so I love Ben McIntyre. So he writes um a lot of brilliant books on um uh sort of spy history and war history and things like that. Uh, Robert Harris, I've always loved his writing. Sebastian Fawkes, Ian McEwen, you know, there's there's sort of it depends what mood I'm in, quite honestly. And then, you know, you mentioned that I like flying. I, I love books on um the history of flying and planes. I, I always describe myself I'm a real geek you know I'm a proper geek and I'm very proud of it um so I love reading books on planes.
0: Fantastic Alex and then the last question and again take this where you where you want and this is this could be a recap this could be a, you know an addition so the question is quite simply you, you have three people in front of you and and these people span the consulting grades one is, is a graduate an analyst one is I, I'm not going to give years, I've stopped, I, I, I say manager level, and then I, I massively undersell the number of years it takes to get to manager. So let's say middle middle of career in consulting. Yep. And then the third person is is that director wanting to or approaching partnership. And, and the question is quite simply, what one piece of advice would you give to each of those people?
1: For the person starting out, a bit of advice that I was given and I absolutely ignored. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to give it in retrospect. Was your career is a marathon, not a sprint. I was told that by a brilliant guy called Jim Reeve that I worked with years and years ago, and I um, I completely ignored him. Um, but it, it was it, you know with the benefit of hindsight, he was absolutely right. So don't get hung up on this day, this promotion, this month. You know, play the long game. We, we you know we talked a lot about the long game and you know doing things for the right reason over the long period of time. So I think, you know, I would definitely, I'd definitely say that. And then probably a a similar variation of that, when you're, you know, you're a manager, you're several years into your career, it's probably felt like a long, hard slog to get where you are at the moment. And, you know, again, play the long game. It's, you know, if you want to be a consultant for the rest of your life, then, you know, it's years and years and years of, of work. So, for people at that level, I'd probably just say, make sure you find a way of enjoying it, really, really enjoying it. So it's like anything in life. If it's enjoyable, it's worth doing. If it's not, you maybe need to question a either why you're doing it or b the way you're doing it. So find a way to enjoy it or get out. And then for the director, don't become dysfunctional. So I always find that people are at their most dysfunctional just before promotion points. And I think particularly, you know, the more senior you get, because you've clearly put a huge amount of work into getting to that point in your career. Again, do it for the right reasons, play the long game and just hold true to you. Don't try and be something you're not because you're close to being a partner. Because when you're a partner, you're starting, not starting again, but your career almost gets going again. So you've got to, it's got to be sustainable and you've got to do it in the right way.
0: Fantastic, Alex. Well, I think that is a a great place for us to finish today. So thank you so much for this. And for anyone listening who wants to find out more about yourself, wants to find out more about Boringa Partners, where would you point them to? Where can they get in touch? Yeah, by all means,
1: you know, like everyone, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, feel free to drop me a message. You know, I'm I'm more than happy to, to chat to people who are interested to talk. Fantastic, Alex.
0: Well, thank you very much and all the best for the rest of your week. Thanks, Nick. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.